Well, take your Bibles now, please, and stand. And if you would, stand and turn to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. And I do believe there's a meeting with Dr. Rasmussen uh, right after chapel for those of you that work with the BGA uh, counseling line. Uh, very important that you see him just real quickly. And uh, we have a card we want you to sign. So see Dr. Rasmussen for that. And uh, Dr. Barber, if you're here somewhere in chapel, please see Dr. Rasmussen afterwards as well. Lots of things to do today. Luke 9, beginning in verse number 44 for our text today. Let these sayings sink down into your ears, for the Son of Man shall be delivered into the hands of men. But they understood not this saying, and it was hid from them that they perceived it not, and they feared to ask him of that saying. Then there arose a reasoning among them which of them should be the greatest. And Jesus, perceiving the thought of their heart, took a child and set him, set uh, set him by him, and said unto them, Whosoever shall receive this child in my name receiveth me, and whosoever shall receive me receiveth him that sent me. For he that is least among you all, the same shall be great. And John answered and said, Master, we saw one casting out devils in thy name, and we forbade him, because he followeth not with us. And Jesus said unto him, Forbid him not, for he that is not against us is for us. Let us pray. Father, we thank you today for this time to open the word, and we pray that you would challenge our hearts and teach us today, Lord, what it really means to serve you and the spirit with which you've called us to serve you. And help us to learn from this moment in the lives of the disciples mentoring and training uh, how that we uh, should possess the proper spirit in ministry today. And I ask that you would touch each and every heart this morning, and we pray and ask this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. The passage before us comes at the conclusion of what is known as the great Galilean ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. And at the conclusion of this particular period of ministry, we find the disciples back in the city of Capernaum. Uh, and this is a, a place that is also very beautiful to visit. It was the hometown of many of these disciples. And, and they come back to this place uh, just really before the journey begins toward Jerusalem. This is one of the last opportunities for the Lord uh, to teach uh, in that setting before finding his way down ultimately to the cross of Calvary. The text before us this morning immediately is preceded by these verses 43 to 44, uh, where Jesus says very plainly to his disciples in this context that he is going to be delivered into the hands of men. And he's very plain in letting his disciples know that he truly was born to die. Now remember, the disciples had in their minds that perhaps Jesus would be their political rescue, perhaps uh, he would establish himself as the king and he would beat away uh, the domination of the Romans, uh, perhaps in their minds they thought that they would stand in authority with him, and so on numerous occasions Jesus said this to them, I'm going to be delivered into the hands of men, and here again in verse 44 he says, I will be delivered into the hands of men. You know, if you are like these disciples, I think sometimes I am in this sense, I have to hear something more than once before it finally sinks in. 
And we find that uh, Jesus is repetitively telling them of his mission. And this passage that is before us this morning gives us insight into some of our own leadership weaknesses, how that we often tend to uh, rely on what we think might happen rather than on the word, already the revealed word of God concerning uh, our lives and the ministry that Christ has given to us. And I want you to see that firsthand this morning. I want you to notice, first of all, a defective reasoning that was in their hearts. These disciples had a defective reasoning. In fact, in verse 45, rather verse 46, the Bible says, Then there arose a reasoning among them, which of them should be the greatest. Now, I want you to think of this. While Jesus was telling the disciples about his approaching suffering and death, these men begin to argue amongst themselves about who's the greatest among them. And I want you just to pause and think, as I think about this passage, I think about the disciples right here, I ask this question, how dumb can you get? Jesus has just said in plain language that he was about to be delivered into the uh, hands of the enemy for the purpose of, of crucifixion, and the number one thing on their mind is, hey, Jesus, which of us is going to be the greatest in your kingdom? Which of us really is just right up there closest to you? And we see in this verse, 46, that there is a contentious rivalry about this subject. It says, then there arose... And here you begin to see a picture of what we would say is natural leadership versus spiritual leadership. A natural leader is always posturing, always wondering where he stands, always trying to make himself look just a little bit better. And someone said the enemy of gratitude is expectancy. You see, the foundation of gratitude is the expectation of nothing. But these men were showing an ungrateful heart as they were literally expecting to have some position and some prominence. And I believe that there are many reasons for this. I believe one reason is the pride that was in their heart. The Bible says in Proverbs 13 and 10, only by pride cometh contention, but with the well-advised is wisdom. And so we read in this verse number 46, then there arose, and this word arose means that this suddenly came into existence. It was a thought that suddenly came into their mind. They were expecting to be elevated in the kingdom of Jesus. Matthew 19 and 27 says, then answered Peter and said unto him, behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have therefore? Now students, I want to remind you this morning in college and in ministry to be careful of hidden expectations. There's nothing wrong with discussing with these ministries that are here today. Uh, what are the hours and what kind of training will I receive? And, and if it gets a little bit serious down the road, they may even talk to you about some forms of remuneration and that's fine and dandy. But may I remind you that the number one thing you should be expecting as you consider the ministry is that you will have an opportunity to serve God. That's the main thing you're looking for, is the privilege and opportunity to serve God. I often say when I'm counseling folks about ministry, the number one question should be, who is the pastor of the ministry? Is this a pastor with integrity and doctrinal soundness? And uh, number two, uh, uh, what, uh, what is the place uh, this ministry place, what is it known for? Do they have sound doctrine? Is it a healthy place, a good place? And number three is the position. 
And most people start the opposite way. Their number one concern is the position. What do I get to do? And I'll tell you something. I'd rather be in the right place uh, with a, a, a position that wasn't exactly what I was looking for, but knowing I was under the right pastor and in the right place, and God would work the position out. You know what these disciples were most worried about? Not the fact that they were with Jesus. They were most worried about what would their place be in the kingdom. Be careful about that mentality of uh, seeking prominence rather than seeking the opportunity to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. We see this was a problem in their lives. Wearsby said, how strange that the 12 should respond as they did to another announcement about the cross. Instead of being humbled, they argued about who was the greatest. Mark chapter 9 and verse 33. And he came to Capernaum and being in the house, he asked them, what was it that ye disputed among yourselves by the way? Uh, but they held their peace, for by the way they had disputed among themselves who should be the greatest. By the way, apparently this was a, an ongoing problem for them. The disciples were arguing constantly about who would be the greatest in the kingdom. But Psalm 75 and verse 6 tells us this, For promotion cometh neither from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south. God is judge. He putteth down one, and he raiseth up another. And so be careful about leaning into the natural tendencies of leadership rather than allowing God by his spirit to lead you along the way. We see that this problem developed more than likely because of pride in their own hearts. I believe secondly, because of ingratitude in their hearts. You know, the Bible says in chapter 10, Jesus telling his disciples not to rejoice in the ability to do miracles, but, but in their relationship with him. And I'd like you to turn here to Luke 10, and notice in verse 17, it says, and the 70 returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. Verse 20, notwithstanding in this rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you. Notice Jesus says, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Look at the, the thing that really matters today is that we're saved. We have a relationship with Jesus. We're on our way to heaven. And, and so Jesus is constantly reminding them of the things that really, really matter and to be grateful for those things. Sometimes I'm afraid that even in the ministry, we can rejoice over all the wrong things. We can rejoice uh, in our attainments. We can rejoice in, rejoice in our uh, possessions and our accomplishments. But we must firstly rejoice in Christ, in the person of Christ, and the finished work of Christ. Colonel James Irving is a former astronaut who is part of the crew that made a successful moonwalk. And he experienced the thrill connected with leaving this planet, uh, going up into space, looking down and seeing this planet so small in size. He says he watched the earth rise one day and thought how privileged he was to be a member of that unique crew. And then he began to realize the route back home and how many would consider him as a superstar for having made this journey. But he was humbled by the awesome goodness of God and he made this observation. He said, quote, as I was returning to earth, I realized that I was a servant, not a celebrity. So I'm here as God's servant on planet Earth to share what I've experienced that others might know the glory of God. Do you desire to be a servant or a celebrity? 
It seems everybody in ministry today wants to be that cool guy with that cool website, with that awesome band, with that awesome reputation. It seems like everybody wants to be popular in ministry today. That little cutting sarcasm uh, on their, uh, on their uh, Instagram account, that little way of kind of correcting others, that, that smarty pants attitude that we see so often in ministry today that says, hey, look at me. I know better than those old fundamentalists know. And I want to just tell you today that the Christian life is not about attaining celebrity TikTok status. It's about being a servant for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we see there's this contentious rivalry amongst the disciples of all people. The first church, the called out assembly. Who's the greatest, Jesus? Who's going to get to be closest to you, Jesus? What are the perks, Jesus, in following you? Because, you know, we gave up a lot. Those smelly fishing wares we gave up for you. What are you going to give to us, Jesus? After all, I came all the way from Virginia to Bible college, Jesus. And after all, I could have been a physical therapist back there in Ohio, Jesus. And I sacrificed that to come to Bible college. I wonder what I'm going to get at interview days. I hope that, number one, you're praying for simply an opportunity to serve the King of kings and Lord of lords. It was a contentious rivalry. And, and there is here also a contemplated thought. There's a thought process that they were experiencing. Maybe you've experienced this. Notice it says in verse 46, there arose a reasoning among them. This was, uh, this was a thought process. And I'll tell you, when you go to counseling someone who has been in a reasoning process for a length of time, you normally don't solve the problem in the first counseling session because their mind is trained to think improperly. And that's why if you could catch this early on in your ministry, it would be a great help to you. This, this reasoning, uh, it was a, a deliberate thinking of self, and it was an inward thought process. Uh, the Bible says in Luke 6, 45, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. For of the abundance of the heart, the mouth what? You ever hear somebody that says some trashy thing or posts some stupid stuff on the internet, and then afterwards they'll say, I didn't really mean it. Chances are they really meant it. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. The reason they were asking who's the greatest is because that's something they contemplated all the time. They were worried about it. And I've seen this as the ruination of pastors, and uh, I've seen it as a ruination of missionaries, Bible college staff. They begin to think, I deserve a little more for this. I ought to be getting this much. I ought to be getting that position. I ought to be getting some recognition. And sadly, they're reasoning this way in their heart, and all they're doing is setting themselves up for more disappointment. The disciples had the wrong spirit toward what ministry was really all about. It begins with this desiring to be the greatest, this uh, Greek word, uh, mezon, or, or, or megas, dealing with rank and authority. Everybody wants to be the mega church, don't they? Can I tell you, students, something? Some of you, Lord willing, will pastor a mega church. Some of you will pastor a church of 60 in some uh, smaller town. And there is one requirement on your life in the ministry, and that is that you be faithful to the Word of God. Don't get caught up in this reasoning that, that you deserve the biggest or the best or, uh, or that, that you deserve to be one with notoriety. They were thinking about their rank in the kingdom. Remember that God's ways are not our ways and that sometimes God will call you to descend into greatness. The way up is down in the Christian life. 
Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. I like the story of a, an attorney. He just passed the bar exam. He's in, his, he's in his office, and he heard somebody walking toward the office. Now, his office just had the electricity turned on. There was no phone service yet or anything like that, but he thought maybe his first client was coming in, and so right as the door is opening, he picked up his phone. He says, hello, may I help you? Yes, well, we'll have to talk about that. The law has a lot to say about it. Excuse me, one second. And he looks up, and there's a man standing in the door. and says, can I help you, sir? And the, and the man said, yes, I'm, I'm here with the phone company to turn your phone on. <laughs> Don't get so impressed with yourself that you've got to work to make yourself look better all the time. I think one of the best things you can say at interview days is, sir, ma'am, I'm going to have my degree, Lord willing, in May, and I've sure enjoyed serving the Lord here and being in this college, but one thing I know is I still have a lot to learn. I sure hope that you have staff meetings and training times because I want to become the very best for Jesus that I can be. But none of us have arrived. Can I get an amen on that? Paul said, I have not yet apprehended. And the sooner we are admitting that, the sooner we can move along and growing in serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And so they kept wondering, and the scriptures are so clear about this mindset. Listen to them, Romans 12, 3. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Philippians 2 and 3. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in loneliness of mind let each esteem others better than themselves. James 3 and 14, but if you have bitter envying in your heart and strife in your heart, glory not and lie not against the truth. That wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, and fleshly or selfish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. The last thing we need is a strife-filled staff member, somebody who's talking to other staff about what they should have got, how it should have been someone that's sowing discord. Listen, none of these ministries need to hire trouble. They need to hire servants. Can I get an amen on that? We don't need to come into this thinking, what do I get out of it? And Jesus is dealing with these disciples as they had a way of thinking that was not according to his teaching or the word of God. Now, most men uh, are not prepared for the task that we feel capable of. Most of the time, we, we take this attitude, I've got that, I've got this many years experience, I've got this degree, I've got this uh, accomplishment behind me. Uh, I think of Jesus later on in the New Testament at Jericho, and uh, the mother of James and John comes and asks a similar question. I want you to turn to Matthew 20, just to illustrate the fact that, that we think we're ready, but we're not always as ready as we thought. Matthew 20, 20, and it says this, then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons, worshiping him and desiring a certain thing of him. And he said unto her, What wilt thou? And she saith unto him, Grant that these my two sons may sit, the one on the right hand and the other on the left in thy kingdom. Now let's just stop right here. I would propose to you that sometimes it's a doting mother that puts the mindset into the children about where they should be going in this career. You, you catch this, don't you? It's the mother of James and John saying to Jesus, now where will my boys wind up if they go to Bible college? Where are they going to be in this kingdom stuff? You know, what's their position going to be? By the way, we don't need any mama called or papa sent or papa called and mama sent preachers. We need men and women that are called of God into the ministry. 
And verse 22, notice what it says. Jesus answered and said, ye know not what ye ask. Are ye able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of and to be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? And they, here's James and John, they said unto him, what do the next three words say? Say it. They said to Jesus, we are able. They don't even know what the cup is. Jesus is about to have the nails of Calvary placed into his hands and into his feet, a crown of thorns upon his head, a spear that pierces his side. He is about to suffer the most agonizing death in world history. And they're like, we got it. Listen, be careful of that. I know more than Dr. Getch attitude. Be careful of that. Well, I just got to tell these people that are interviewing me just a few things they need to know about fundamentalism because I've read a blog. Why don't you just refrain from having to share every one of your three nuggets of wisdom today and just take opportunity to listen? I mean, if, if two of the greatest men that ever walked with Jesus would struggle in this area, how many of you would think all of us could struggle in this area? We're able, well, I'll tell you what, educators, you say, well, we're able, we're smart, we have degrees, we have accreditation. If you don't have humility, you're not able. One thing I've learned about ministry, Dr. Getch, in 40 years of preaching this past month, I'm not able. I'm not able. But he is able. He alone is able. There was a man that was honored with an honorary doctorate at a major university. He was introduced by uh, the president of the college. And as he was introduced, the president said, today we have a very great man with us. He said, I mean a very, very, very great man. And they brought him forward and they gave him his doctorate. During the ride home, the man was still riding on the crest of his wave of glory. And his wife, he asked his wife, he said, honey, how many very, very, very great men do you think there are in this world? And she said, one less than you think. Don't get caught up into thinking that you're a very, very great person. There is one perfect one, and his name is Jesus Christ. And we are honored to be his servant. I see this morning a defective reasoning. They were reasoning in their hearts who should be the greatest. Notice quickly a declarative reproof. The Bible says in verse 47, then Jesus, Luke 9, 47, perceiving the thought of their heart, took a child and set him by him. Now notice the perception of Jesus, and can I just quickly say, students, God knows your heart. Jesus perceived their heart. He is truly all-knowing. Luke 5, 22, but when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered and said unto them, what reason ye in your heart? Psalm 139 in verse 2, thou knowest my down-sitting, my uprising, thou understandest my thought afar off. And Jesus looked right through them. And may I remind you this morning, he knows your heart, he knows my heart today. I see the perception of Jesus, and then I see a picture of truth. Jesus masterfully illustrated truth, did he not? And notice Jesus often uses little children to illustrate truth. Whether it was the feeding of the 5,000, he wanted to illustrate the faith of the lad, or in this case, he brings a child to him. And Jesus 
gives this child what those disciples wanted. He gives the child this prominent place right next to himself. And you can study it out, but as I understand it in the first century, many times these kinds of children were viewed as just kind of a piece of property. They did not have the rights. They did not have uh, the uh, position in society even that we would consider uh, today. And, and Mark writes that Jesus took the child, Mark nine thirty six even into his arms, and he held this child. And by the way, it's a privilege to serve every member of God's church, including children who can give you nothing. To spend time encouraging them and bringing them close to, to Jesus Christ. Charles Francis Adams was a 19th century diplomat and political figure. He kept a diary, and in his diary he wrote one day these words. Went fishing with my son today, a day wasted. His son, Brooke Adams, also kept a diary which is still in existence. And on that same day, Brooke Adams wrote in his diary, when fishing with my dad today, the greatest day of my life. The greatest day of my life. God forbid that you would get involved in youth ministry or children's ministry or Christian education thinking that this is the little stuff and someday you'll do the big stuff. Every day serving Jesus is big stuff. And it doesn't matter who you're serving. It may be the lowliest of the low on this planet in some foreign field. It's a privilege to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus gives to us a picture of humility. Mark 10 and 14 says, But when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased and said unto them, Suffer the little children to come unto me, and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. Sunday night was an amazing message brought by our son Larry. It was theologically sound that it was very applicable for every parent as he preached from Romans chapter 1 about the downward trend of societies and as he reminded us the fact that there are people today that are literally internet evangelists preaching a dogma of a sinful, lustful lifestyle and recruiting young people into a lustful lifestyle. It's not something you get away from by moving to Arizona or Idaho because as long as there's an internet, they're actively trying to find people through their search engines that they can recruit into their wicked lifestyle. And what I want you to understand is that the world sees children many times as just marketing objects, as objects for lust, as objects to buy a, a product. But God teaches us that he highly values children as his creation. And so, whether it's bus ministry or teaching, it's a privilege, Jesus says. And he says, hey, big boys, you step aside. Bring the child to me. And he shows us a picture of serving this child. A, 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 someone as insignificant as a child in their minds is now the one being brought closely to Jesus. Dr. Curtis Hudson often said, the measure of a man's greatness is not how many people serve him, but how many people he serves. And that's why we should thank God for things like bus ministry and Sunday school and soul winning. 1 Peter 5 and 6 says, humble yourselves therefore into the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. I love the story of Hudson Taylor, the great missionary to China. And there was a storm that came rushing through their housing complex there in China, and it had caused a great backup in the sewage uh, storm drain. And there were two young missionaries standing over that storm drain, and they were arguing about who should clean it out. One said, I'm Cambridge trained, and I'm not going to get down in that gutter. I don't do that type of thing. And the other one said where he went to college, and they were arguing about their pedigree. By the way, knowledge puffeth up. 
No matter what degrees you ever attain, never glory in your degree, glory in the cross. I'll say that again, it deserves a better amen. Never glory in your degree, glory in the cross. These two men were glorying their degrees. They're arguing about who should clean that trash out. While they argued, Hudson Taylor just walked down into the sewer and cleaned out the sewer. You see, there are a lot of people today that want to get on the internet and argue their expertise and their academic prowess, but God is looking for people who would simply love children, love people on the mission field, have a heart for souls. And this is what he pictures when he brings a child to himself. None of us are above soul winning. None of us are above serving. Jesus uh, meant here that, that they should not be seeking status for themselves, but they should be seeking people like this child that needed to know Jesus. I see this morning a defective reasoning. Who's the greatest among us, Jesus? I see a, declar a declarative reproof, Jesus reproving them by bringing this child to them. Notice finally, I see a discerning reminder. Notice in verse 49, this is amazing. And John answered, he's going to get in the religious conversation now. John answers and says, Master, we saw one casting out devils in thy name, and we forbade him because he followeth not with us. And Jesus said unto him, Forbid him not. For he that is not against us is for us. Now as we close, I want you to notice John's misunderstanding. In these times, the Lord had given his disciples power and authority over the demons. Luke 10, 17, the Bible says, And the seventy returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. But verses 46 through 48 are really about a rivalry within the disciples. It's a rivalry uh, with those of other circles even, and we see that here uh, in this passage. But immediately following Jesus' teaching about such things, the disciples relate how that they had excluded someone from ministering. In, in other words, here in verse number 49, John is sort of proud. Lord, these guys were casting out devils in your name, and we forbade them. And as I study this scripture, the problem was not so much uh, uh, of orthodoxy. The exorcist believed in Jesus Christ. The problem was really the fact that this one was not of the 12. He was not uh, with Jesus as they were, and so they wanted to relegate him to some other part of ministry. They wanted to be able to retain the title of the greatest of the you know, uh, casting out demons club and the closest to Jesus club. And so they said, Lord, we told him to stop doing that. And this was a misunderstanding in John's heart. By the way, we should rejoice whenever anyone is truly born again the Bible way, anywhere. It doesn't mean always that you advocate for every aspect of every ministry out there. It just means that when God does a legitimate work in saving someone's soul, we should always be spiritual enough to be grateful that he did that. John's misunderstanding. Notice as we close, Jesus mentoring once again. Verse 50. Jesus said unto him, Forbid him not, for he that is not against us, is for us. Jesus' reply is very succinct. The disciples were not the ones to give this prohibition. The 12 wanted to exclude him. Jesus wanted to include him. And Jesus' reply was proverbial. He had stated the reverse truth earlier in Matthew 12, 30. He said, if you are not for me, you are against me. It's kind of like the proverb that says, answer not a fool according to his folly. Answer a fool according to his folly. The only way to know how to apply the verse at the right time is by the leadership of the Holy Spirit, to know the mind of God. 
But in this case, Jesus said, hey, if he's doing this in my name, don't bother him. You see, the disciples' ministry was not an exclusive ministry. It will draw on many collaborators to be completed. And there should be no rivalry in the ministry when it comes to serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, I hope that uh, whenever you find your way onto a church or school staff or a missions agency or into the pastorate, I pray that God puts a double portion of his spirit upon you. I pray that you see souls saved. I pray that you're organized. I pray that you bear fruit that remains in the ministry. I pray that you teach lessons with, with excellence. But I pray that as you do all of that, that you bring others along with you joyfully, that you rejoice in others' successes, that you encourage encourage your teammates, and that you help them maybe to learn in some areas where God has blessed your life, that your spirit should not be on a church staff or elsewhere in ministry, an exclusionary spirit trying to put the others down to make yourself look better, which is exactly what John was trying to do. Let me ask you this. When was the last time you just tried to reach out and encourage one of your fellow college students? I haven't looked at grades this semester. I'm sure there's some that are struggling. When was the last time you just said, hey, hang in there. You're going to get through it. When was the last time you just called maybe a senior back in your home youth group or a junior, some of your old friends, and just said, hey, just thinking of you and praying for you and hope you're doing well. You need to cultivate that heart of serving and reaching out to others and not being the one that's always trying to lift yourself up. 1 Corinthians 1.10, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, that by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now this I say that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, and I am of Cephas, and I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Listen, don't go from this place with the attitude, well, I'm from West Coast. You know what? Just serve the Lord diligently and faithfully. And if somebody asks where you're from, you give the glory to God and tell them where you're from. But we don't need a divisive boastfulness about what we know, where we're from, who we know. We need to be found faithful in proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ. And so I encourage you today, students, don't allow defective reasoning into your heart. Don't allow this thinking that there's a lot of good people in the college, but I'm just a little better because I'm a PK or because I, I did this or I did that. No, no, no. All of us are on the same team serving the Lord together. Be willing to serve people that can offer you nothing. Be willing to help people who can offer you nothing. And be cautious of jealousy in your own spirit. Charles Spurgeon and Joseph Parker were both contemporaries in England in the 19th century. On one occasion, Parker made a comment in his pulpit, and he commented on the children of Spurgeon's orphanage and how uh, many of them were poor. And it was, it was taken as somewhat of a disparaging thought, the fact that Spurgeon's little orphanage was doing these things. And it was reported to Spurgeon that Parker had criticized the orphanage itself. Well, the next Sunday, Spurgeon blistered Parker from his pulpit. He got up, and I mean, he just let it fly, and he accused Parker of sowing discord. And, you know, this is back before the Internet, so it took seven days for the answer to come. But, boy, when the seventh day came, Spurgeon just let it fly. Well, the next Sunday, 
people flocked to Parker's church. They wanted to hear what he was going to say. This was getting good. You know, they wanted to see what was going to be said. Parker stood in his pulpit and he said, I understand that Pastor Spurgeon is not in his pulpit today and that this is the Sunday that an offering is usually taken for their orphanage. I suggest that we take a love offering here for their orphanage instead. In Parker's church that day, they passed the offering plate three times. The next day, Parker and some of his men went to Spurgeon's study and they brought the largest offering ever taken for the orphanages of Spurgeon and presented them to Mr. Spurgeon. And Spurgeon said this, Parker, you have practiced grace on me. Students, I want to encourage you in your college days and in your ministry days to practice grace on people who do not always practice grace on you. To be less concerned about prominence and more concerned about serving. God will lift you up to more responsibility in his time. Just yesterday, two of our graduates uh, were called to be pastors of New Testament Baptist churches, and one of them emailed me and said, I never thought I would be a pastor. I'm a music major, he said, but God's called me to be and opened the door of a pastorate. God is such a wonderful God that if you, without trying to promote yourself, will just simply find yourself in the service of the king, he will take care of you every step of the way.